Well, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We continue this morning our four-part series on the four themes of Advent. We have looked at the theme of hope. We looked at the theme of peace. Next week, we will look at the theme of love. And this morning, we look at the theme of joy, all four of those from Luke chapter 1. We will be looking specifically this morning at verses 46 through 56. Now, I I don't think it can be argued that there is no theme more associated with Christmas than the theme of, of joy. Our songs are filled with the theme of joy. As we were picking songs for this morning, Ryan and I praying through this and talking about the day, we said, well, we want to make sure all the songs have joy in it. I'm preaching on joy. Every Christmas song has something about joy. Even the great classics by Elvis, Santa, bring my baby back to me, and have, have something to do with joy. There's just joy all throughout our Christmas songs. Think about this morning. We sang, oh, come all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant. We sang joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. I love the song, hark the herald angels sing, joyful all you nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Every song is a proclamation of joy, an invitation to joy, a declaration that Jesus Christ has come to bring joy. If Christmas is the celebration of Christ, Christmas must be a celebration of joy. And the reason that our songs are always pointing us back to the theme of joy is because the story is always pointing us back to the theme of joy. If you were to read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, and hopefully you're doing this in your Advent readings throughout the week, then you will be amazed if you look for it how often the theme of joy comes up. Just in Luke 1 and 2. Zechariah is told by the angels, when your son is born, you will receive great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. When Mary comes having the Messiah in her womb, and she visits Elizabeth, who has John the Baptist in her womb, it says that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy when Mary walked in. The angel says to the shepherds, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. When the wise men see the star, it says they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. And it's not simply a reference to joy in Luke 1 and 2. It's a reference to great joy and exceeding joy and leaping joy. It is a call for everyone who hears about Jesus to rejoice. It is unquestionably true, listen, that Jesus Christ brings joy. It is also unquestionably true that those who know him should possess it. Think about Romans 14, 17, which says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has come to usher in the kingdom. Jesus arrives and says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And everyone who repents and believes is brought into the kingdom of God, submissive to the king. And it says the mark of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. John Stott says that the main mark of a justified believer is joy. It is a 
primary fruit of the Spirit, that when we are filled with the Spirit, there is joy that is coming in our lives. When we're living submissive to the King, there is joy that is to be in our lives. This is why, and hopefully you've figured this out about me yet, I want a joyful church. I want to have joyful Sunday mornings. I want a joyful staff. I want to have a joyful Lord's Supper. Because we have something that the world does not know. And that is even in the midst of difficult circumstances, it is possible to have a deep abiding sense of joy, listen, that only those who know Jesus possess. It is unique to us as the children of God. So why is it that this one virtue which should permeate us often seems to elude us? Why is it that we gather on Sunday morning, we sing songs of of great joy, but we leave without it? Why is it that we sing joy to the world, and the world is wondering, where is the church's joy? There's a little bit of sad irony there. We declare that Jesus has come to bring joy to the whole world. And my question is, do those who know us see that joy? Now, there's a lot of reasons that that joy seems to elude us. I mean, certainly the reality of life. I mean, life is hard and situations are difficult and life is complicated. And often what happens in the midst of the difficulty of life is that the difficulty of our circumstances overshadow the reality of all that we have in Christ. And so instead of Christ being big in our minds, our troubles are big in our minds and joy departs. There's the reality of sin. Sin kills joy. Sin kills joy. It is impossible to be walking in unconfessed sin and be filled with the Spirit at the same time to be walking in unconfessed sin and to experience the joy of the Lord. Psalm 16 says, In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forever. Listen, if you are not experiencing time in the presence of the Lord, there will be no joy. In John 15, Jesus talks to them about abiding in Christ. And he says this, These things I have written to you so that my joy might be in you and your joy may be full. In other words, joy flows out of intimacy with Jesus Christ. So if there's no closeness to Christ, if there is no enjoyment of Christ, there will certainly be no joy. But there, there is a deeper issue that we may or may not have thought of. The issue is this, there is a battle raging for your affections. There is a battle raging for your affections. The enemy knows the power of joy, that joy is uniquely attractive to people, that joy is a powerful testimony to the goodness of God, that when you find somebody deeply, solely, joyful in the Lord in the midst of difficult circumstances, that uniquely gives glory to God. It displays his sufficiency and his love and his kindness. There is a power to joy that the enemy knows. So because of that, the enemy will do anything he can to rob you of your joy. Now, if if there is a battle raging for your joy, which I assure you there is, then we must be fighting for our joy. You know that this is the way the Christian life works. There are all these things that are available to you, that have been purchased for you. Hope, peace, joy, love, all of those are yours in Christ if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. They're yours. 
It doesn't mean you're experiencing all of them, but it means they're available to you. And the way in which we receive those is by fighting for those things, that that which has been made available to us might be experienced by us. There is a fight for joy. And I, I think Mary does that really well. I think what happens in Luke 1 is that Mary, in the midst of difficult circumstances, is fighting for her own joy. Now, her, her situation was, was difficult. We talked about this last week. She's a teenage girl, probably 13 or so years old. She is pregnant. Uh, she does not know at this point yet whether her fiancé will stay with her. He has every right to leave her. There's all the cultural stigma that is even much more significant then than it was now. Mary has no idea what's going to happen, how her parents are going to respond, how her fiancé is going to respond, how culture is going to respond. This is a very difficult situation. And her response is a song. And it's not the blues. She, she is singing a song of joyful praise, a song of exaltation. If you look above verse 46, in many of your Bibles, there'll be a little title there that says, Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. Magnificat is, is a word that means a song of praise. There are four of these in Luke 1 and 2. Mary gives one, Zechariah gives one, the angels give one, and then Simeon, when he meets the Lord in the temple, also gives one. There are four outbursts, spontaneous outbursts of praise flowing from a heart of someone who's simply overwhelmed by the goodness and kindness of God. I mean, listen to what it says. Start in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, now, now look at the first two verses there. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What that means is that she is giving an exclamation of praise to the Lord because in her soul, God is overwhelmingly great. She sees in this moment the greatness of God, and as she sees in her own soul the greatness of God, she can't help but to exclaim the greatness of God. My soul, this is coming from deep inside of me, is magnifying, is declaring the greatness of God. Look at verse 47. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My, my soul is filled with praise. My spirit is filled with rejoicing Let's not forget Mary's circumstances. Yet even in the midst of these circumstances, it seems that there's something deep inside of her that cannot help but to exclaim a joyful response. And I believe that in this moment, Mary gives us some insight on how to fight for joy. 
How do we do this? How, how do we fight for joy? Let me give you two ways that we fight for joy. I want to encourage you to write these down because this is the fight of our lives. It is the fight that we must fight so the world can see how good our God is. The first one is this. Joy flows from the reminder of God's blessing. Write that down. Joy flows from a reminder of God's blessing. So as we're fighting for joy, we're fighting by remembering the blessings of God. Joy flows from a reminder of God's blessings. I have no idea how many times I've read this story. And even before I could read, this story was read to me as it was to many of you. I don't know why this time, this year for the first time, I've just been a little overwhelmed by God's kindness in providing Elizabeth for Mary. We talked about this last week. Mary has no idea where she's going to go and what she's going to do. Who in the world is going to understand a pregnancy like this? Who else is going to understand an angel appearing and telling them they're going to have a child at a moment in which no one thought that was possible? The answer is her cousin Elizabeth. And the angel says, go to Elizabeth. She'll understand. And she does. And you have to imagine freshly receiving the news of this and all of the things going through her mind Mary, it says, rushes to Elizabeth. And before Mary has the opportunity to say anything, Mary speaks to her. It says, go back in verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, a reminder that what was coming out of her was from the Lord. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth, the moment Mary walked in, began to remind her of all of the blessings that are hers in Christ Jesus. Mary walks in, ready to vent and to talk about all the things going on in her life and hoping somebody will understand. But before she can even say anything, Elizabeth simply says, Mary, do you realize how blessed you are of the Lord? Blessed are you among women. And it's not just trite or psychology, the reality is, is that it's, it's true. Mary is extremely blessed. It has to be hard in the midst of the news to remember how blessed she actually is. But Elizabeth is reminding her that her blessings are greater than her troubles. That no matter how great her circumstances, how deep her questions, and how complicated her situation, the blessing of God is always greater. And her joy here is flowing out of the reminder of that blessing. Think about the way this goes. She walks in, Elizabeth says, blessed are you. Her response to that is the song. Her response to that is the exclamation of joy. There's a connection there. Someone reminds her of how blessed she is, and then she begins to declare a joyful praise to the Lord. Now, when I think about this, I, I think of a few challenges to this. This idea that in the midst of our circumstances, we need to be reminded of the blessing of God. The first challenge I see is this, is that's often not what we want. When we're down, when we're feeling bad, when things aren't going our way, we don't often want to be cheered up. We don't want people to tell us how blessed we are. We want people to feel sorry for us. We're not looking for good news we're looking for someone to just wade in our bad news with us. When I come to Andrea and I vent to her about how horrible everything is, I don't want good news. I don't want encouragement. I don't want anything. I just want her to feel sorry for me. 
When I tell Andrea I'm feeling sick, I don't want anything to help my sickness. I just want everything in the household to stop for all five children to take care of themselves completely. And Andrea spent the next like three days just waiting on me and feeling sorry for me and aware of how horrible everything in my life is. I don't want her to remind me that things aren't that bad. I want pity. And you do too. Don't be so self-righteous on me this morning. We all, we all want this. Now, now, there's a word for that. Actually, there's a few words for that. Narcissism comes to mind. But the, the word for that is pride. Pride. Because what it is is it's, it's my attempt for everyone's attention to turn on me and to think about me. I don't want to think about Jesus right now. I'm sorry. I don't want to think about the blessings of God. I want you to think about me. Now, we do need people, obviously, to speak the blessing of God in our lives. I'm just telling you, this is not what we always want. Because here's the problem. If we start to think about the blessings of God, you know what it does? It does the very thing we don't want it to do. It turns the attention onto Christ and away from us. But if we want the attention, Christ will never get the glory and we'll never get the joy because only one person can get the attention. And so I don't know how Mary felt when she showed up. I don't know if she was looking for more self-pity. All I know is that when she walked in, Elizabeth said, listen to me, you've been blessed of the Lord above all women. So bless the Lord. Whether she wanted it or not, there is something in us that doesn't want the very thing that we need to give us the thing that we actually need the most, and that is the joy of the Lord. I think another complication is we don't always have an Elizabeth in our life. We, we don't always have someone in our lives who will, for a moment, a brief moment, stop talking about themselves and stop thinking about themselves and turn their attention onto you for enough time that they might turn your attention away from you and back on to the Lord. Did that make sense? Because I never said that before. It's just kind of coming out in the flow of preaching. It was good, I think. So you need someone to turn their attention away from themselves and put it on to you so that in putting their attention on you, they might get your attention back to the Lord. I said it again, and that's, I feel like more of you should be writing. That's really good. I think you'll, you'll go back and listen later, right? Is that why you're, listen, this, this is true. We don't always have someone who looks us in the eyes and say, listen, I, communion cups, I know this is hard. I know life is difficult, but can I just remind you of how good God is? Can I just remind you of, of the blessings of the Lord. And it is at this moment in which we choose, listen, we choose. If you're just waiting for the joy to come, no, no, no. We choose by faith to say, instead of wallowing in self-pity, I will by faith turn my attention to the Lord Jesus Christ and remind myself of who he is and what he's done for me. I mean, I think about Ephesians chapter one. I, I, I think about, when Paul is in a Roman prison and he's writing letters and the first thing he begins to write and it feels a bit spontaneous when he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons and he goes on and on and on in this 
outburst of praise while in a Roman prison. Why? Because he realizes that even though his condition is bad, he has innumerable amounts of blessings that no one can take away from him. No cancer, no marriage troubles, no job circumstances, no amount of poverty, none of those things can remove the blessing that belongs to you because of Jesus Christ. There are all kinds of things you can lose, but if you are in Christ, you are blessed because of your union with Christ, and no one can take those blessings away from you. We have to remember those. So when we feel that we are lacking joy and we feel a little overwhelmed by our circumstances, what do we do? We stop. We remind ourselves of the good blessings of God. It is in that moment in which we become overwhelmed by him and his goodness and joy begins to come. Reminder of God's blessing. The second one is this. Joy flows out of a reminder of God's blessing. Joy also flows, listen, from confidence in God's character. Confidence in God's character. I'm aware of God's blessing. I'm confident in God's character. Joy flows from those two things. I begin to read this prayer over and over, this song in verses 46 through 55, and I begin to mark everything it says about God. Because what's remarkable about this is that Mary is simply praising God. God is the focus of her prayers. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for ourselves. We do pray for ourselves, but when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he teaches us not to begin with ourselves, but to begin with him, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So what is primary in our mind is God's name and God's glory and God's kingdom. And then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. But th this is what Mary's doing. Mary is just putting all of her attention on the Lord. She's choosing by faith to pray. And as she prays and as she sings, she's reminding herself of the character of God. And I kept finding more and more things about the character of God that come out in Mary's prayer. But let me just, let me just summarize it with a few. The first thing I notice here is just the kindness of God. The kindness of God. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary's saying, I'm nobody. Like how in the world would, would the Lord from heaven look on me? She, she's overwhelmed by the kindness of the Lord that would look upon a humble servant like Mary and bless her with this child. Now listen to me very carefully. Mary knows who she is and is overwhelmed that God would acknowledge her and bless her with the gift of this child. Listen to me. In the same way, God has acknowledged you and blessed you with the gift of this child. That God sees your lowly estate and he recognizes you. He acknowledges you. He puts within your heart a desire for the things of God. He gives you a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know him because he came after you and he pursued you. Listen, the God of the universe in his kindness has come after you to save you. The kindness of God that would look upon us and give us the gift of Jesus Christ so that we will be called like Mary blessed. We are called blessed, Ephesians 1, blessed of the Lord, because the gift of this child has been given to lowly servants like us. Oh, the kindness of God. Psalm 126.3 says this, the Lord has done great things for me, and we are filled with joy. 
I don't know what your circumstances are this morning. I know for a fact that if we were to write them all down or share them, there would be some too heavy for almost all of us to bear. I also know this, that no matter what your circumstances, if you know Jesus Christ, you should be able to proclaim Psalm 126.3, the Lord has done good things for me. And we are filled with joy. The kindness of God. I notice the holiness of God. See in verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. It is a reference to the absolute perfection of God. Meaning this, God does not make mistakes. He doesn't get it wrong. He doesn't mess up. As he is overseeing your life, determining the things in your life, he did not make a mistake. He never allowed something into your life and then went, oops. Uh-oh, he doesn't do that. Everything he does is right, and everything he does is perfect. He is doing what is right for you. He is working for you. He is perfect in all of his ways. And what Mary is saying is this, I may not understand it, but I do believe by faith in the holiness of God, meaning everything he does is absolutely perfect, so I will stand settled in his perfection. He has done what is good, and he has done what is right, and I will choose by faith to be confident in that truth. His kindness, his holiness, but notice his mercy. The mercy of God. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the richest in a way empty. He has helped to serve in Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Twice. Now, grace is God giving you things that you don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding the things you do deserve. What Mary is saying is this, God, I know what I deserve, and you have not given me what I deserve. Instead of that, you have like you have done from generation to generation, poured out so many good things on me, even though I deserved nothing from you. You see, li listen here. If you put your focus on yourself, you're going to always believe that you deserve more than you have. If you put your focus on God, you're going to believe you received so much more than you ever deserved. I was, I was reading this week an article on anger and the source of anger. And the author was saying that all unrighteous anger flows from pride. It flows from a thought that I deserve better, that people should listen to me more, people should respond to me more, that I'm right, you're wrong. It is a sense of injustice that we have. And by the way, all throughout this text is this God's justice. He will take care of those who have sinned and done wrong. But the truth is, is that all of my anger flows out of pride, of a self-centeredness. And what focusing our attention on the character of God does is say this. Listen, this is not about what I deserve. This is about the fact that I have received so much more than I deserve. It is the mercy of God. And the last thing I see is just the faithfulness of God. From generation to generation, God has been keeping his promises. He didn't forget them. He's not going to forget you. He knows what he's doing. God is for his people. He has always been for his people. He is for you in every way. He is behind you. He is with you. He has never left. He has never forsaken any of his people. He has never forgotten any of his sheep. He's never lost one, John 10. He's got you. He knows what he's doing. You are in the hands of the Lord. And here's Mary saying that even though I don't feel like joy, 
as I remember his blessings and I remind myself of his character, what happens is my heart begins to be overwhelmed with the joy that belongs to me. I think one of the things remarkable about this is how it shows us that Mary knew the Bible. She knew God. She knew the Old Testament. You don't just spontaneously sing a song like this uh, unless you know the Lord. She knew the Old Testament. She was aware with the things of the Lord. Her prayer of joy flowed from the depth of her knowledge of God. And, and I think that's the key. What, what is the one takeaway? Well, we fight for joy with the weapon of truth. The truth of his blessing, the truth of his character, the truth of who he is for us. Our experience of joy is directly related to our remembrance of the truth. If you're not reminding yourself of the truth of God's character and his wisdom and his ways, there will be no experience of joy. This week as I was praying through this, and we'll be done after this, I kept thinking about Philippians 1.26. We talked about this earlier this year. Where I believe that the verse that God ministered to me and gave me when I came here for you is that I would remain with you, Philippians 1.26, for your progress and joy in the faith. God has called me to increase your joy. And I think progress and joy go together because as you make progress, you increase in joy. I, I long for you to experience the joy of the Lord. I long for this to be a place in which we manifest the joy of the Lord. I want the joy to be real in you and permeating through you. Your joy matters to me. It matters to the Lord, it matters to me. And I can pray and I can stand up here and exalt the Lord and hopefully that by seeing him a little more clearly you might love him more, but at the end of the day, you have to fight for your joy. Are you, are you fighting for your joy? On a daily basis, are you opening this book, being reminded of who he is? Are you allowing people to speak the truth into your life, even if you don't want to hear it? Are you fighting for your joy? Because it belongs to you. Jesus Christ purchased it for you. It is there waiting, available to you, but you must fight for your joy. An absence of that joy is a result of an absent-mindedness that is not setting its mind on the things of the Lord. Now, here's how I want us to respond this morning. I think there is, there is one of a few prayers all of us need to pray. Some of you need to pray the prayer, Lord, save me. Listen carefully, I'll be done in, in a minute, but I need you to hear it. Some of you need to pray the prayer, Lord, save me. You don't have access to that joy because you have not come into the kingdom. You have not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You have not trusted Christ alone. And some of you need to simply pray, Lord, would you save me? Forgive me for my sins. I want to enter into a relationship with you. I ask that you forgive me. I trust your death as the payment for my sins. Lord, save me. Some of you need to pray the prayer, Lord, save me. Some of you need to pray the prayer, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for being so focused on myself in my marriage, in my church, just in my own world, thinking so much on myself that I've neglected to think about the Lord. Lord, forgive me. I'm proud. I'm arrogant. I'm self-centered. Lord, forgive me for not allowing my eyes to be on you. Some of you need to pray, Lord, restore me. Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Some of you have lost your joy because of sin. You've lost your joy because of mistakes that you've made. You lost your joy because you're not walking in intimacy with Christ. You say to the Lord, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And I think all of us need to pray the prayer, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your kindness and thank you for the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, 
that I might receive the fullness of your joy. Listen, I don't know what your prayer is. It might be save me, it might be forgive me, it might be restore to me, but whatever it is, what I'm begging you to do this morning is that when we stand in just a moment and have a time of response, you pray that prayer. Pray it in your seat, pray it right here on your knees. If you want someone to pray with you or over you, come. Men and women are here. There is a prayer that every one of us needs to pray this morning, whether it be save me, restore me, forgive me, there is a prayer to be prayed. I pray that whatever it is for you, you would pray. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.